people because the thing that God does is that he says this, and you've heard me say this time and time again if you've been here, but the Bible says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But then God says for your healing, if you confess your sins to one another and then pray for each other, you will be healed. Now, you've got to find the right person to do that with. You don't want to find the gossip. Does anybody, anybody know a gossip? No, not in this church because we don't have any. Um, but you don't want to tell that person. But the Bible's really, really clear is that there's a God connection, but then there's a people connection. And I think that uh, me, personally, I don't know about you, but I'm good at the God connection, not so good at the people connection. Or you can be really good at the people connection, but not so good at the God connection. But the Bible teaches us that we need both. And sometimes our experiences in church are not that great, and so that kind of causes us a little bit of a problem with the connection of people. But John Calvin, who was one of the uh, fathers of the faith uh, from years and years ago, he said this, he said, you cannot say you love God and then not love the church. You cannot say that you love, there's a lot of people out there today say, I love God, I just don't like the church. Well, you can't do that. It's not possible. We'll find out in a minute as we go through this that the church is considered, and you are the church. The church is not a building, it's people, it's individuals coming together. But the Bible is really clear that the church is the bride of Christ. And so you can't say you love the husband, but you hate the wife. Hello? Although some of you might be, well, I've got some friends and he's cool, but she's not so, or vice versa. But when it comes to this whole thing that the scripture teaches us, is that you can't say you love God and then not love the church. And why is it so important then to be connected to church? Because Jesus calls it, as I just said, his body. And it says this in Ephesians 3.10. It says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, in other words, the manifold wisdom of God is basically the revelation of who he is, the attributes of God, his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, all the things that we love about him, the, the healer, provider, all those, the manifest wisdom, basically his attributes are made known, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So God decides that the vehicle for his attributes, who he is, that the best place for that to go through is through the church, through you and I. It's through us. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd be like, yeah, I don't think Craig's the best vehicle for my attributes. Does anybody agree with that? I'm going to see who you are. I don't understand why he chooses to do that for us, but he does. He says he wants the multicolored, multi-leveled wisdom attributes, revelation of who God is, is to be known by the church, and not just known by the church, but to the rulers in the heavenly places. In other words, the principalities and powers over our lives that try to come against us, that's over our community, that's over our nation, that's over the world, that, that the power of God, the attributes of God against those principalities and powers, God wants to funnel them through the church. And that means this, that the church, you and I, individually and together have power. That God has decided in all of his wisdom that the best place for the, the power of him to manifest itself, for warfare to come against demonic forces and demonic powers, is the church, is the vehicle for the power of God to be established and displayed 
in our world. How many people think that's a cool thing that God decided to use you and I to manifest His power? I want to tell you this morning that there is power in the church. It's not a weak thimble thing. It's not something that's just limping along. You may have had bad experiences, but the church is the answer to the world. The church is the solution that God created when Jesus left and sent his Holy Spirit. He started the church because the church is the hope of the world. It's the answer to all the world's problems as Christ manifests himself through the church. And so in your workplace, you're the answer to their problems. In, in your neighborhood, you're the answer to their problems. Walking through the checkout at the supermarket, you're the answer to the problems because God said that he wants his manifest wisdom, the attributes, the power of God to flow through the church. It goes on and says this in verse 21 and says, To him, that is to God, be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations from zero to a hundred forever and ever Amen. So what does he say here that the church is? It's the glory of God. We hear that statement quite a bit, the glory of God, but I want to explain to you this morning that basically the glory of God displayed in the church means this. Glory means the manifest attributes of God made flesh. It is God being flesh. That the glory of the church is actually just God working through us. Hello, you can talk to me this morning. This is a safe place. It is Christ decided in all of his wisdom that the best place for his power and his attributes to be displayed is the church. You and I individually and you and I together. And if God decides that that's really important, and if God decides that that's the best vehicle, then I agree with John Calvin. How can you say you love God and not love the church when the church is meant to be the place that shows his power and his attributes? He says this in Ephesians 5, 29. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. He's saying here that God loves the church. He nourishes it. He loves it. He gives himself for it. It is important to him, and therefore if it's important to him, it should be important to us. And so I understand that sometimes we feel like there's a disconnect with church, or sometimes we don't really kind of feel like it's family or home. And so the question is, is like if God says that church is really important for us to be connected to, and when I say church, I don't want you to just think Sundays. I want you to understand that we're talking about you and me individually and corporately coming together. That's the church. It's the people. It's not the building. Facilities are purely for housing people. The building does not make church. You make the church. That's what God teaches us. And so God is saying that this is so important to him that he put his power and his attributes and all that, and he nourishes it, and he loves it, and he gave his life for it. And so therefore, if it is that important to God, it should be that important to us. So my question then is, is if I feel disconnected, how do I get connected to church? Good question. Ephesians 4.16 says this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, Listen to this, causes growth. Everyone say causes growth. Yeah. 
Try that again. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what he's saying here is that when the church comes together, when it knits together, when it comes together, that we supply, every joint supplies to the others. You know that you are not alone in this life, that when you come here on a Sunday, our spirits are feeding each other. In conversation, you're not just having a conversation about the weather, but there's a, there's a mutual feeding going on from spirit to spirit, uh, nourishing and, and helping as you share something that maybe you're going through and somebody says, hey man, I went through something similar and, and this is what God did for me. If we start to feed each other, we start to knit together and the Bible says this, it says that that kind of connection where we come together, when we make a decision that we're going to be knitted together, that kind of connection causes the church to grow. It causes more people to be added. The Bible says this in, in, in Acts about the early church is that they met together daily, uh, eating bread and praying together and spending time together, and God added to their numbers daily those whom were saved. There's something that happens when we, when we come together, when we knit together, when we make a decision that I'm not going to do life alone, I'm going to do it with other people, that it causes the church to grow. The church does not grow because people attend it. The church grows because people knit themselves together in it. Attending church is not growing the church. It's just attending. Because when I'm living connected, I live differently. You know, I don't attend my home. Yes? I don't turn up after work and just say, I'm, I'm attending home this morning or tonight. I'm attending home. No, no. If I just attended at home, how many people know that, that I wouldn't be very welcome most of the time? <laughs> See, to make family work, you have to live connected to one another. You can't live disconnected in a marriage and hope it to succeed. You can't live disconnected to your children and hope that you have relationship. You see, for it to work, there has to be connected. And when you're connected, you live differently. You do things for family that you wouldn't normally do for anybody else. Why? Because you understand that I have a responsibility here. For my kids, I have a responsibility. Yes, yes, I'm so glad that Madison has her full license and is able to bring herself and Seth to youth on Friday night and home on a Friday night, and I can just stay in my house and go to bed at 10 o'clock because that's late. <laughs> but before she had her full license, it's take, taking them to youth and picking them up and bringing them home for youth was not a chore. It wasn't a, I have to do this. It was, I want to do this because I'm connected to them and I want to see them grow and I want to see them healthy and I want to see them established. And so it's not a chore. See, when you, when you live connected, you do things differently. It's not heartache to give up some of your time to go and do something for somebody. It's not, it's not a problem to, to, to give up a Friday night and be here and work security so that the kids have a safe environment. Not that we have evil people. It's not like we have axe murderers coming through the door. Although we could frighten them one day by coming in with a chainsaw or something like that and just freaking the bejesus out of them. That would be funny. I think that would be hilarious. How many dads think that would be hilarious? Thank you, dads. And, um, but when we live connected, we understand that there are some things where I have to put some time aside and I have to make some sacrifices 
and rise to the occasion at times because we understand that it's not just my luck. It's not my life to do with what I want, but I would love to help you. There's not a parent in this place that doesn't love to help their children. And there shouldn't be a child in this place that can't help but love to help their parents. Let's just sit in that moment just for a while. Let that sink in without some financial gain. You see, you transform when you live connected. You transform by being a church goer to being a church builder. You actually decide, I'm not just attending, I'm going to build this thing. And the reason why I'm going to build this thing is because Christ loves it. I love him, so I love this thing. And I know the transformation that this has brought me. And I want to see that for others. And so we go from being a goer to being a builder. And John 13, 35, it says this, by, by, all, uh, by this all will know that you are my disciples for if you have love for one another. You see, none of us can do alone what everyone can do together. None of us can do this alone. None of us can do life successfully alone. We need other people to do it with us. None of us can reach this community on our own. We need us all together in doing this. We would not be able to do the missions work that we do overseas or support the different missions works that happen overseas and locally here with Bible and schools and all that sort of stuff if we didn't do it together. We would not be able to help families in need and pay for counselling for those that can't afford it if we didn't do that together. I'm not financially well enough to be able to pay for people to have counselling everywhere, but when we come together and we're able to give towards the give uh, of our tithes and offerings to the Lord and we understand that it's God's money, then that money can be used to help lives be transformed. I can't do that by myself, but when we come together, we're able to bless and transform people's lives because what we do together, none of us could do alone. But knitting together, the coming together with one another just doesn't happen by accident. It's not like you're just walking along the, you know, in church one Sunday down the aisle and all of a sudden, boom, you bounce into somebody and, whoa, hey, we're knitted. You know? I always find it quite funny when, People say, I fell into sin. It's like, it's like, what were you doing? You're walking along the road and you tripped and all of a sudden all your clothes fell off and you landed in bed. I don't understand how that works. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens because Jesus starts to do a work on the inside of us. And we understand that we're not meant to do life alone and we start to love the people that Jesus loves. Because the reality is the great worst thing about the church is that it has people. Yes? There's a minute you have more than one in the room, we have a problem. I mean, the church would be awesome if it was just me. (laughs) But the great thing about the church is that there's people. And the great thing about it is that we become knitted together with people that we normally would never knit together with. And we learn from people that normally we wouldn't befriend normally. And so we get this richness of life that we just don't get outside of this in any other way. But it doesn't happen by accident because we start to think, you know, because we're together, we begin to love one another because Christ, because of what he has decided. And then all of a sudden, as we do that, we start to build something of significance. When we join 
and knit together with the church, we join the very heart of God because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what? If you want, some people say to me, what's God's will for my life? Build the church. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, but, but what does he want me to do? Build the church. It's really easy. What his heart is, your heart becomes. So his heart is to build the church. Why? Because he's not trying to build facilities or buildings. He's trying to build people. And he understands that when we come together corporately, we can do something more than we can do individually. And so he says, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to build the people. I'm going to see lives transformed and changed. And so if you want to know what God's will is for your life, build the church. Build the church. Do what he loves. And yes, I understand that the church, not this one, other ones, can be really unfriendly at times, including this one, if we're honest. We can be unfriendly at times. This church is no way perfect. Trust me, here's the pastor, there's the trouble right there. People get hurt badly in church. People have been hurt in this church. People have been hurt in other churches and left and walked away, and people have been hurt in this church and left and walked away. And, and I don't take that lightly. That, that hurts me that they got hurt because ultimately we're here to build this thing, not destroy this thing. And so when people get hurt, it hurts. And I realize that people get hurt, unfortunately, because, it, as I said, the church is filled with people, and hurting people hurt people, and none of us come into this hole. But here's the thing about the church. God doesn't have a backup plan. He doesn't have in his scriptures, or if the church doesn't work, that's okay. We'll start Amway instead. I'm not dishing Amway, it just came out. I'll start rugby clubs instead, that'll fix it. (laughs) He doesn't have a plan B. He has the church, and he knows it has warts, and he knows that it has problems, and he knows that people are going to get hurt. But he doesn't have a plan B. And so we can spend our time pointing out all the faults of what the church does and all the problems that the church causes and all the hurt that has been around the world by people that have been in church. Or we can turn around and say, you know what? God doesn't have a plan B. And yes, it may have its faults, but I'm here and I'm going to help build it so that it doesn't have its faults. I'm I'm going to make sure that it's not unfriendly by being friendly. I'm going to make sure that nobody does life alone by making sure I'm looking out for those that are lonely. I'm going to make sure that people don't get hurt by being a builder of the church. And saying that, things will happen in the life of church which causes offense, just like it does in family, yes? I'm pretty sure in the first two years of my marriage, I thought Trinity hated me and she and I hated her. Don't you look at me like that. I know you guys had the same problems in your first two years. And so stuff happens, yes? But the Bible warns us of that. It said offenses will happen. See, it's not if offense happens, it's what you do with the offense that matters. Because God's not interested in what has happened to you. He's interested in what is happening in you. And there will be mistakes made in the future of this church. And I will make mistakes. And our leadership team will make mistakes. But you have to understand something. Don't walk away offended. Come and have a conversation. Do the biblical thing. Where it says, go to the person who's offended you and have a conversation. Because we can work things out. Because I don't think there's a leader in this place 
that intentionally goes out of their way to hurt people. We need to become church builders, not church walkaways. Become people that make it work. The Bible says this in Psalm 92 verse 13. It says this, it says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. If you want a flourishing life, the Bible says for your life to flourish, it must be planted. Oh, yeah, but I, I, I... No, there are principles in Scripture. Just like there's gravity. You can stand on the top of the roof of this building after the service if you want to and believe in all of your heart that you can fly and flap your arms as hard as you can but there's a principle called gravity, and you will hit the concrete. It's just a reality. And the Bible is filled with principles, guardrails to live our lives by. Guardrails are what we have on the motorway to keep us inside the right lanes. And if you get outside of those lanes, you're going to hit a guardrail to get you back in. It's to try and keep you confined to a space. And it's not because they want you to not have fun on the motorway, they just want you to get where you're going safely, yes? And they understand that if you stay on the left-hand side of the road, that you'll be okay. But if you go onto the right-hand side of the road, you may not get to your destination. Guardrails aren't there to kill our joy. They're just there to help us get to where we're going safely. And there are principles in Scripture, and this is one of them that says, if you want your life to flourish, then you've got to be planted. You just have to be planted. You've got to stick around somewhere long enough to get your roots down so you start to flourish. It's a biblical principle. And, and, and to be honest with you, it doesn't matter what your views are or what your thoughts are or what your feelings are because feelings aren't facts. Facts are facts, just in case you didn't realize. This principle will not change. If you want to flourish, you have to be planted. Growth comes when we are knitted and joined together, when we do life together when we share life together and we grow because of it. And we have people from all different walks of life in the life of this church, from all different kinds of backgrounds. It's one of the great privileges, I think, of pastoring is, is I get to sit down with people and ask them their story and hear what God has done in their lives. And I think it's amazing, every single person in this place, the great stuff that God has done. But I can also hear in some of your hearts right now, like it is in my heart, because I'm not... You may think I'm really good at going up and talking to people, but I'm not very good at that. I find it daunting. Anybody else find it daunting talking to someone you don't know? Isn't it crazy that God decides that the best way for us to live is knitted together, but our insecurities and our fears that the enemy brings upon us is that nobody's going to want to talk to us and nobody's going to want to like us. And so then we feel disconnected because we haven't really built any friendships and then we start to think that it's the church's fault that we're disconnected. And in some ways, it can be. The church needs to always work better on that. But can I suggest to you that maybe sometimes the problem is you as well as the church? In Proverbs, it says this. Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Have you ever walked into a room and the person's you know, sitting there, arms folded, like the whole entire world has just pooped on their shoulders? Nobody wants to talk to that person, do you? Nobody goes, oh, there's a really sad person. I might go and talk to them. That'll brighten up my day. So 
sometimes we're disconnected because we are just pushing people away. Our body language says, I don't want anyone to talk to me, but our heart is saying, everyone's rejecting me. No one wants to talk to me. Well, if you want friends, you must yourself be friendly. Come on. Yeah, the church has got stuff to work on, but so do we. If you want friends, you must yourself be friendly. Let me just give you five quick things that will help you to become a friendly person. And then we're nearly finished. The first thing is this, is that put energy into being likable. Or that's just my resting face. Well, I'm sorry, it needs to change. It needs to change. Because if your resting face says, I hate everybody, don't talk to me. Guess what? No one's going to talk to you. Put energy into being likable. Smile, your face won't break. It doesn't hurt to do this. You know, you'll be surprised. This week I decided to trial this, yes? I was walking down the main street in Pukekohe, and every person that I made an eye connection with, I gave a smile. Do you know how many people smiled back at me? All of them. All of them. It's really that simple. There was connection moments that happened all the way down the main street. They probably got to work and said, there's this really weird guy out on the main road just, just smiling at everyone. I think he's on crack or something. But here's the thing. If you put energy in to be likable, people will respond likably. Come on. So we need to put energy into being likable. The second thing is show care for others. Show care. Show care. Like when they tell you, man, I had a tough week. Oh, yeah? My wife told me off yesterday, I had a phone call with somebody, a family member, and they were pretty upset. Life's been a bit difficult at the moment, and I'm kind of like, uh-huh. She's just like, you could have been caring. Well, what am I meant to say? Or say, how, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And I said, yeah, but I've heard this time and time again. She goes, it doesn't matter. You're still going to show care. Show care. Show care. You know, a hand on the shoulder just saying, hey, man, that's, that sucks that you're going through. That means a million things to people, yeah? If they will allow you to, then a hug can sometimes say a thousand words. Yeah? Come on. Let's, let's show care for others. Let's put energy into being likable. Let's show care for others. Remember their names, Number three, remember their names. I'm a shocker at remembering names. But you know what the church does really bad? It does this. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. You know what that is? That's Christian for I don't know your name. <laughs> My name is not brother, and your name is not sister. Just say, hey, I'm, lo- I'm really sorry. This is what I do all the time. You can ask the people at Next Steps. Last two weeks we were in Next Steps. I should know those people's names, but I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm really bad with names. What's your name again? It's not offensive to do that because I'd rather call them by their name. Yo, hey fella. Nobody likes that. Remember their names. I used to have a notebook when I was doing youth. We had a youth ministry of 350 kids and I used to have a notebook that I have in my back pocket. When I finish talking to someone, I might be a guy called Nigel and he has curly hair and maybe he's got an exam coming out that week and one, when he walked away, I'd pull out my notebook and I wrote, Nigel Curly here, exam this week. And then when I was at youth the following week, I pulled my notebook out when I saw him and go, what's his name? He's like, it's Nigel, because he had curly hair. So Nigel, and he had an exam. And I remember walking up to him and go, hey, Nigel, great to see you again. How was your exam this week? And the guy's like, oh, you remember? Like, oh, the 
what's up amazing that you remembered? Oh, I had a notebook because I don't have a good memory, but you know, we, we, we need to do some things where we remember people's names, put energy to be likable, show care, remember their names, be generous to others, have something to give, don't always take. You know, if you've got a friend that's always taking from you and not giving to you, that's not a friendship, that's called a support group. See, our job is not to rescue people, our job is to minister to people. My job is not to carry your burden, my job is to be burdened for you. Sometimes we over-involve ourselves in people's process of what God's taking them through. And we need to understand what our role is to support, to love, to encourage, not to fix it for them. Because God's trying to do something in their world. But we don't want people isolated in the storm. Yeah. So be generous to others. Have something to give. Don't always take. Do not hoard things that you've learned to yourself. Share them with people. And if there's one person that's great at this in our church, she won't like it when I say this, but Catherine Nicklin is one of the best at this, of giving gifts and notes. Little cards that just said, hey, thinking of you. Those are just so simple things that we can do, yeah? I try to do that with texts. Hey, praying for you this week, thinking about you this morning. Just why? It's, it's just I just want people to know that we care. Come on. Number five. This is really important. See the potential in people. See the potential in people. It's easy to get the idea that we're here to polish statues rather than carve them out of the granite stone that's in front of us. You see, it's not what somebody does, it's what the potential they have to be that we need to look for, yeah? Because if it was about what they did, you would have got rid of your kids ages ago. But it's the potential of what they can become, yes? So see the potential in people, because to me, this place should be a home for people. And home to me means family. Home to me means a place that I belong. Home to me is where the fun and the laughter is. Home to me is where I get picked on by the three other members of my family whenever I say a word wrong and then they mock me for ages. Or Madison shared a meme with me and the person had an English accent and I tried to be funny by repeating an English accent with the meme but I had an American accent instead and so now she mocks me continuously that I got it wrong. That's family. Well, our family, anyway. I'm pretty sure the love language in our family is sarcasm and mocking half the time. But family is a place for fun and laughter. It's a place for hugs. It's a place for forgiveness. Family is a place for love and acceptance. Home is a place where I can be myself. I don't have to be anything to anyone because these people love me. In fact, they have to. (laughs) They don't have a choice. So my guards can come down. I can be real. I can make a mistake at home and it's okay. I can say silly things and Madison will judge me. No, you can say silly things and not be judged. Home should be a beautiful place, not because of the furniture that's in it, but because of the people and the hearts of the people that live there. Home is a place of beauty. I love coming home after being here in the office or wherever I may be. I love coming home because home is a place of refreshment and encouragement and it's a place that God has called me to be. It says this in Psalm 68 verse 6. It says, God places 
the solidarity in families, solitary, sorry, in families, and gives the desolate a home in which they dwell. God makes homes for the homeless and leads prisoners to freedom. I don't know about you, but I want to create a home here where everybody, every single person is known, every single person is cared for, where they're loved, accepted, where their worries and concerns can be shared, where their potential can be realized and encouraged, and where no one gets missed or forgotten. But for that to happen, friend, we have to intentionally create home. Home doesn't just happen. Home happens with intentionality around it. And the best way that we can create a home here is by creating homes within our home. You see, your home has different rooms. It has a kitchen, it has a lounge, it has a toilet, hopefully, shower, bathroom, different rooms of the house, all different rooms that make up a home. And in this church, we're going to create homes by having homes within it, a large room of different places around our community where people can meet together, where people can hang out together, share good times and bad times together, being real and relaxed, not ashamed or afraid to share because they know they won't be judged. They know that they're going to be supported. They know that they can laugh together, pray together, because God's kingdom, friend, is a family. It's a large family that is knitted together where people from all walks of life belong. And groups, our small groups, our connect groups are the place where the appropriate care and nurture happens for people. I believe it's God's simple little plan to make sure everybody is cared for is by creating groups that are homes within our home. Because it's impossible for us to look after everybody, but we can look after a few. We can get around our friends and our family and love on them. Whenever somebody comes to me in the church that are in need, my first thought is always, what group are you in? What, what friends do you have around you to help you walk through life? Who can you connect with that will be there for you? Because I only have 24 hours in a day, and I have a wife and a family that I'm trying to minister to too. And so I can't be there for you 24-7, just like all the other leaders can't be there 24-7. But you have a group, a family that's around you, Man, you can be cared for so well. And there have been people in this church that have been cared for by their small group over a period of three or four months with meals and all sorts of things and managed to get through what are some of the toughest things that you could ever face because family got around them. Because we created homes within a home. And you know what? I can't make you go to a connect group. In fact, I can't make you do anything. I wish that God would change things where we could just force people to do things. But then if that's the way that the church worked, then there would be no relationship. And there has to be relationship. And the problem with relationship means that I'm opening up myself and I'm allowing myself to be hurt by others sometimes. I can't force you to go to a small group, but I want to encourage you to. Because when you become part of one of these homes, you'll discover a home for you a place where you're not alone, a place where you are sharing your life together and you're, there's care and connection that's happening. There's relationships being built and because you're building relationships with people and you know you can trust them, then a vulnerability comes to our world where we can actually share what's really going on beyond high, 
how are you doing? And I say this to people sometimes. I say, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I always say this, is that a Christian answer or is that a real answer? Because we're great at going, oh, yeah, my life is awesome. As you cried all the way to church this morning. We just need to find people that we can be vulnerable with where we go beyond, hi, how are you? Learning to trust people, knowing that you're in a safe place. And when that happens, then we start to grow together because we can start to pray for each other. And other people can share their stories about what God did for them when they went through a similar circumstance. And we start to learn from others. Oh, man, well, if God did that for them, then God can do that for us as well. And, and can you help me walk through this? Can you sit down with me? I know, uh, you know, two or three years ago, just our finances, I just wanted to get some help around them and get our personal finances going really, really strong. And so I reached out to someone in our church who I know is just a genius around finances. I said, can you come around to the house and help us walk through this so that we can make some changes? They came around and, and laid out a plan for us. And how many people know that that's not, that's not um, embarrassing? That's called being smart. That's called, hey, man, you're awesome at this. Can you come and show me how to be awesome at this? But we get embarrassed about those things. We shouldn't be embarrassed about it. We're a family. And family helps each other. Yeah. We've taught those principles to our kids. And Madison's really good with her money. And Seth is, he's still a growing concern. We grow from other people's stories. And here's the thing as I finish on this this morning. Here's the thing. I believe that if you're not in the group, not only do you miss out, but we miss out. We miss out. Because we're meant to be knitted together, sharing with one another, feeding one another. One of the most powerful things that you can do for each other is to stand by each other and pray for each other. And you need a group to do that because, you know, isolation in a storm just makes a storm a whole heap worse. Matthew 935 to 38 says this. It says, Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke, so confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. And he said this, What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees, he said, and pray for harvest hands. You know what? Not only can you get yourself into a group so that you find home within the home, but you can create a home within the home by saying, you know what? I'm going to open up my home. I'm going to widen my circle to others because I want to stand with other people and help them walk through life. I want to create a home within my home so that people's lives are transformed. And this morning, I'm going to pray for you very shortly.